When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll just start here. And... Hey, welcome back to uh, Silver Fortune. So this uh, podcast is a little bit different from what I've done in, in a while in that it's not just me talking uh, your your ear off um, today. I have a, a guest for today's uh, podcast. It's, it's a discussion, a dialogue instead of a monologue. Um, I'd like you all to welcome uh, Dakota to today's podcast. Um, Dakota, how's it going? Good. How are you doing today, Matt? Good, good. So uh, Dakota is just a listener. He's been a listener of my podcast for a long time. And that's pretty much his qualification. I mean, he doesn't, this is not, um, this, you know, in the past I've interviewed other industry experts or whatever, and, and, and neither Dakota or I are really um, industry experts on any of this. He's just been a long time listener. He asked me if he could come on and I said, yeah, why not? You know, so um Welcome to the show. And, and we have a lot, I guess, to talk about. Not that we have anything um, really specifically hammered out, but but I think people with similar interests tend to be able to, uh, to find something to chat about. So um, I think a, a good place to start is maybe we'll start with the two top current events right now. And that's the, you know, the coronavirus, which, you know, people are kind of forgetting about this past week. Um, and then the high levels of social unrest will impact the coronavirus first, the COVID-19. And, and rather than get into this controversial topic of is it real or not? Is it a pandemic? Is it a pandemic? Who's right? Who's wrong? Um, instead, I want to discuss uh, the the ramifications of, of, you know, an economy basically in lockdown for two months that's only, you know, now slowly getting back into the swing of things. Um, and, and I don't know, some, some of your thoughts on, on how that will impact things. So, so I, I'll let you kick things off here and, uh, and I'll just sit back and listen and, and stop talking. Well, I just, I think that the whole COVID-19 thing, it, it does have, carry a lot of con- controversy through um, many different topics, but I think that it's just impacted the lives of people. And I think mostly the response from our politicians has really angered a lot of people. And I think it's kind of led to the social unrest that we're seeing now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, is it, is it just a coincidence that we happen to have um, this, this pandemic, which, which I think is going to go down as, as a bit of a, a generationally, you know, defining event and, you know, the highest level of social unrest in the United States um, in a, in a very long time, probably a number of decades, you know, is it a coincidence that those two things would, well, you know, coincide? I mean, what do you think? Um, I, I think it is mostly coincident. I, I like to play the devil's advocate. Um, I'm not really sure where the origins of this virus are from. I mean, obviously China, but the whole controversy is it from a lab? Is it not from a lab? Is it from a wet market? Is it not from a wet market? Um, I think that, oh, sorry, I'm losing my thought here. Um, yeah, you're talking about, you know, is it a coincidence or not? 
Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence because I think that things like these kind of do happen. I think that the unfortunate killing of George Floyd is something that does actually kind of happen on a semi-regular basis. So the fact that a pandemic happened right next to this, this video that comes out and it's, it's a terrible, gruesome video that, I mean, the man was, was obviously murdered on, on, on the streets by a cop. So the fact that they coincide, I don't think it's too much of a coincidence because the cops murdering, it does happen, unfortunately, often. The pandemic doesn't happen often. And I don't really think that someone can plan a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I guess, um, yeah, as far as a coincidence, I see it as, you know, it's, you're right. I mean, these types of events happen, um, not so much of the pandemic side, but, but it's not, it wouldn't be unusual for one of these types of events to happen, you know, at any time of, you know, any, any given year in the last 10 years, we've had, you know, countless numbers of events like these have, have, you know, sparked a, a national you know, outrage or conversation or whatever. Um, I, I definitely don't see it as a coincidence though, that the, the level of, um, um, emotion, outrage, violence, riots, all of that, you know, what would happen, you know, during or following a pandemic, you know, and pandemic's not over, I guess, but, but during a pandemic, N- not to say that it's, you know, planned in any way, you know, there's, there's going to be people that say maybe there is, and maybe there's, but, but I mean, this is, this is very much as a whole, it, it, though there might be some that are, you know, more organized in this whole riot protest business, that the vast majority of these individuals aren't, you know, part of some vast conspiracy. I think it's, you know, maybe more so related to the fact that we've had one of those greatest, you know, disruptions of the economy of the, you know, and thus the kind of the social fabric of the United States that we've had. And I don't know, uh, you know, a very long time, you know, and, right, and, yeah. and so, you know, what are the second order effects of this? You know, what uh, b- between the high unemployment levels, the defaults on, on, corporate debt mortgages um, as well as, you know, a social fabric that is looking, you know, as though it's kind of breaking at the seams. Uh, it, it just so happens to be 2020, you know, an election year. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on how this sort of impacts politics? Well, well, like I had kind of like alluded to before, I think that with the COVID-19 reaction from the politicians, how, there was politicians who sold stocks, you know, like insider trading. There was politicians who, there was this big debate whether we should open the economy, not open the economy. I think that America, and I mean, even maybe the world is just really upset with the with their politicians, with their governments, and just the way that the world is ran. And so I think that the the George Floyd thing was just kind of like the the last straw that broke the camel's back, you know, and. Um, I think they, they kind of play into each other. So uh, like you said, it's all happening in 2020. It's a, an election year. But like I said, I don't think that you can necessarily plan um, any of these things. The, this is almost like a fire, um, a fire that spreads throughout. Yeah, at this point, it's th- throughout globally. So I think that it's not planned. I think it's mostly just coincidence. I think it's an unfortunate coincidence. But there's also like these 100-year cycles where we see catastrophes happen such as you know the 1918 when we had the the spanish flu and we were just we were in world war one and then world war two happens a couple decades later so 
you see these cycles throughout history repeating themselves 90 years before the world war ii was was the civil war the american civil war and 90 years before that was the american revolutionary war so i think that we're just kind of caught in a cycle yeah i mean the 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 discussion of you know um neil howe and i think it's william strauss you know they had a book uh, many of the listeners are probably familiar with i'll admit i haven't read it myself but but um, you know, called the fourth turning, they have this idea that, you know, the world history over the last, I think it's 500 years can sort of be broken up into 20 year, you know, roughly 20 year segments, you know, give or take um, roughly a generation. And then every four generations, you know, every you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, you have this fourth turning, which, which coincides with um, it may be the most upheaval of any of the, um, any of the, you know, four periods. And, and that's certainly been a, a popular theory that, you know, existed before, before the coronavirus, before, uh, or at least the strain before, before the, um, you know, the, these most recent riots or anything. And I think the crazy thing, as far as, uh, you know, politically speaking here in the United States, you know, we, we, we all remember what 2016 was like in terms of, of political polarization. Uh, and, and um, and it didn't really go away after that. We, we just didn't have a huge lightning rod for it to to really be shown, in, you know, namely, you know, an election and everything that goes back and forth in that, uh, you know, with the exception of 2018. But heading into 2020, you know, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year, you know, Matt, do you, do you think, you know, polarization this year is going to continue to get worse? I'd say, yeah, but but I would have never guessed that it would have been because of this, you know, maybe that's because of this, but but based on the issue of a response to a pandemic and, you know, the, the highest level of social unrest we've experienced in, in decades. I mean, that would have been never, that would have never been my guess guess. And yet, and yet it's, it's a, um, it's, it's perfect. Uh, I guess Tinder for, for maybe this inevitable fire of, of, you know, political disagreement and, and polarization. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's nuts. I would definitely say that Trump is driving a wedge in, into America. I mean, the whole, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. That's pretty much the only reason I have Twitter. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I mean, every other tweet that I see from him is him talking about fake news, this and fake news, that. When when you single out one side of the media, whether they're right or wrong, but if you single out one side of the media and say that they're wrong, you can only get your information from the other side. It creates a giant division. And I yeah. think that that's very divisive in itself. Um, I think that also you're kind of getting into some political philosophy and uh, not that I'm a Marxist or anything, but I think Karl Marx kind of had some interesting political philosophy in the fact that he talked about a thesis and antithesis and a synthesis. And the, the thesis would be the, the ruling class. And then the antithesis would be the, the working class, the, like the serfs and then the, the, the proletariat thesis. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then the synthesis would be the the swing back into into uh, inequality. So kind of like a, a revolution in a way. Karl Marx focused more on economics, and he talked about economic overthrows or economic revolutions. Mm-hmm. And his prediction never came true. So I'm I'm wondering if we're kind of like seeing the end of our. Uh, our economic situation and maybe seeing the entrance of a new, 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 uh, new system. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, regardless if we agree with it or not, I think it would serve everyone well to become well acquainted with, with, uh, you know, certain aspects of, of socialism. I'd agree that, I mean, there's this, there's this real desire by many to, to maybe write some of these um, perceived wrongs in, in a, that that take the form of oftentimes economic inequality um, in in today's, you know, society and today's, you know, economy to write these wrongs. And, and, and of course, you know, my perspective is that that it's a misdiagnosis of, you know, what's, what's causing this inequality. Um, But, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter what I think or, or what maybe some evidence would show. Sometimes it's kind of the easiest answer. I mean, what's, it doesn't have to be the right answer, but the easiest answer is what so often is, is picked. And that's, you know, redistribution of wealth to maybe, you know, put it under one umbrella, you know, uh, uh, this idea of higher taxes on the rich, um, maybe universal basic income, whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, the sad thing is about this is that, you know, I think um, as, as far as political leadership goes, it's so often that that a country or a nation or people will swing from one extreme to the other um, or, you know, put a different way, swing from maybe one, um, one, one form of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. But, but so often they, they're actually kind of similar in the sense that, you know, the, you know, if you're thinking like um, Karl Marx and, and his relation to, to the, uh, the revolution in Russia in, in, you know, 1917 or whatever, uh, you know, they swung from, from the czars, you know, uh, a ruling class, but, but, you know, basically, a um, uh, like I don't know. Monarchy. Monarchy. Yeah. Basically a monarchy, but, you know, an authoritarian form of government to communism, which was, you know, just as if not more authoritarian than the previous. And I mean, you saw it, you know, with, with various revolutions with the French and, and, and various other, you know, times where, where, um, you know, what a group of people find themselves unhappy with what the current ruling party offers them. And, and rather than maybe take some, some power away from the ruling class or remove them or, you know, they replace them with a different, you know, one tyrant replaced for another. I mean, I think, I, I don't know. Right. It's kind of like, you know, like a, a child that grew up in an abusive home and then raises their children in an abusive home. So I don't think that the answer is necessarily revolution. I think that America actually does have a great foundation for for democracy. I think that right now, I think that Americans are just very lazy, especially people in our generation that don't vote. I think that we've kind of just handed over the the entire country to the people who are making all the decisions right now, and it's not benefiting us. Yeah, and I think there's a real... Um, there's a real lack of, of, I think, literacy on these topics, uh, in the sense that there's almost a, an intentional lack of illiteracy too. They make it very difficult and education is very poor in America. It's, it's almost intentional. Well, well, I, I, I completely agree that the educational system is set up to, to reinforce the status quo. And, and, and many times, especially higher levels of education that tends to skew to the left, but, but left or right, it's, it's still sort of the status quo. Um, it, it's, you know, there's it, not a whole lot of maybe real consistent types of thing. It, it's more so this is the way things are and this is the way we'll continue to do things. You know, even if, you know, even talking about, you know, the, the, the classic one that people like to pick on, you know, the, the two party 
um, government that we essentially have. I mean, two major parties and the rest are, are all just lumped in there to third parties because they're, they're relatively insignificant. You know, if you polled 100 Americans, a, a very large chunk of them would say, this doesn't serve us well. And yet 95% of them that, that actually vote, a good chunk of them won't vote, but 95% of them that do vote will vote for one party or the other, you know, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. You know, it's, it, it does almost seem intentional that our system is set up to perpetuate, you know, what's existed for, for, for many decades, century plus now. Right. I completely agree. I, I'd, um, I, especially in this election, I feel like there's really only one party running. I haven't heard from Joe Biden in so long. And I, I feel like, I feel like by the democratic party choosing Joe Biden, they kind of just chosen out. They said, all right, guys, all right, the Republicans can take it this time and we'll figure someone out, someone yeah. else out for the next time. It's, it's yeah. Sorry, continue. It, oh, yeah, I was going to say from an outsider looking in, it's it's puzzling to me, you know, from, from somebody that's not just like vehemently pro-Trump, and so I'm just going to dislike whatever they put up, and, and also not a Democrat either. Um, it's, it's puzzling that they would put up Joe Biden. I get that he's a safe pick, he's an establishment pick, whatever. They, they don't want to lose their centrist vote, but, but nobody... Um, Nobody puts to sleep a, a group of voters maybe better than, than Joe Biden, you know, with the exception of maybe, you know, like Jeb Bush or something. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, it, they, I don't know. It, it, it's just, it's, it confounds me why, and, and you know how the Democratic and maybe to some extent the Republican Party works. I mean, they're, they're selected not usually by the voters. The, the, the DNC has a huge role in it. We saw it in 2016. We probably saw it again this year. But I mean, why not roll the dice with Bernie? Why not go with Elizabeth Warren um, or, or a handful of other candidates um, that would have been far more exciting, um, maybe would have a greater chance of, of collecting some of those. It just doesn't make sense to me, collecting some of those out, you know, far left votes or, or independent votes. It, it makes not a whole lot of sense to me. And, and you're right. I mean, I haven't heard from him a whole lot over the past few months he's he's incredibly gaff prone and and it, again this is coming from a relatively unbiased in the sense that i'm not just gonna hate on the guy because he's you know a democrat or something and i think there has to be some real concerns about his mental you know capacity it's not that he's you know he he belongs in a memory care unit but but certainly he hasn't you know how somebody can can deliver a speech um, has to have maybe some bearing on on how they would serve as commander in chief, and and if you, you know, only have like a fifty percent chance of of making it through a speech in a in a coherent manner, gosh, I mean, where does that leave you when when you actually have to debate? You know, if there's, you know, hopefully there's some, if not, if anything, you know, virtual debate. You know, how does that leave you in a, in a debate? Or, or what about his critical thinking skills? I mean, what if he's in a in a situation where he needs to make a critical decision? Like, I can't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, you know, Reagan was old. Tr Trump is old. Bloomberg was old. I mean, there's, um, you know, H.W. Bush was you know, relatively old, I guess. I mean, maybe it wasn't even way Bernie up there. Sanders. Yeah, even Barry Sanders. 
And, and so, I mean, if you're looking at them just based on their age, I don't think that's, I mean, Barry, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is similar <laughs> age, Barry Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders is a similar age. Trump, I think is a little younger, um, but they're all 70 plus 80 plus, you know, they're up there. And yet Bernie, you know, despite maybe a heart condition mentally was sharp. Trump, not a huge fan of our guy, of the guy, but mentally he's very sharp. He's sharp, you know? Um, and, and the same was true for just about every other candidate. You know, even Reagan, you know, maybe towards the end, and I wasn't alive during Reagan's presidency, but maybe towards the end, maybe he was losing a step. I don't know. Um, but, but again, that was an eight-year presidency. At the beginning, he was, certainly was very sharp. Um, whereas, you know, extrapolating from where Biden was four years ago to where he is now, you know, where is he going to be four years from now? I mean, that's... Right, that's a very good point. Because, I mean, with the exception of probably just Trump, uh, you see how much age presidents put on in just four years. I mean, look at Obama. He went in with, you know, shiny black hair and left all gray. So you definitely see how much stress presidents go through. So I don't know if he would be able to handle the whole four-year term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, and, and then where does that leave us? Is it, you know, is is his VP pick, you know, the, the biggest? Because the, the tough thing about this is that, he could still win. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about it. Um, you know, Trump. I prior... mean, would, would you be happy or, or sad if, if Joe Biden beat Trump? I, you know, really indifferent, I think. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay. I, I, not, not totally indifferent. Like I don't care, but kind of maybe resigned indifference to, well, I, I'm not, really going to be a fan of the next four years regardless, you know, but I mean, who, who he picks for his EP pick could be, you know, very important, uh, um, very important decision. And, and I hear we have a virus going around that tends to target, you know, the elderly, the, you know, um, you know, you put that on there as well on, on top of his mental capacity. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's resigned indifference for me. Um, I'll, I know I'll be voting, you know, third party. And I, and I got to try to get overly political here. But if, if you listen to my podcast enough, there's a pretty steady consistency that I'm not a huge fan of, of either party. There's good things that Trump has done, but that hasn't really swayed me in his favor. I, I don't know. Where do you stand? Yeah, so uh, I voted for Trump uh, last time, but I also kind of I definitely won't vote for him again. Uh, that's for sure. But I don't completely disagree with everything that he's done. But I don't obviously don't agree with many of the things that he has agreed. Uh, many of the things that he's tried to do or has done. Um, so I I don't know. Like third party kind of seems like a waste of a vote. But at the same time, I just don't feel like there is anyone that actually represents me. So it's hard to say. Um, I definitely. Joe Biden, whoever he does choose for his VP and um, possibly like looking at whose cabinet members could be, that would definitely encourage me to vote for him based off his decisions. But I mean, I guess third party is an option, but like I said, it, it comes down, they collect, you know, maybe 5% of the votes every year or every election. So yeah. it doesn't waste at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's... um. I mean, I'll, I'll probably vote third party. Um, you know, that's what I did in 2016. 
and and I likely will this time. And and it's 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 a protest vote. I mean, it's not, you know, I don't know. Before this all sort of comes to an end, I don't. I, before you know, the whole political system is blown up one way or another. I don't know if third party will ever really have their day, uh, whether it's the Libertarian Party. I mean, that seems to be sort of the you know the, the number three, but you know, Libertarian or you know maybe, maybe there's a there's a centrist party that are that that it forms a far left or far right party. I don't know, um, but but uh, yeah, that's I, I just don't see myself voting for for either of these guys and. I don't know. I mean, it's, it feels eerily like 2016. I know, I, I know a lot of people listening are, are big Trump fans, but it seems like 2016 all over again in the sense that you have two, you know, relatively, you know, unlikable characters. Now, I, I don't think Biden is nearly as unlikable as, as Hillary Clinton, not nearly as polarizing. Um, but still like, you know, just very, I don't know. I, I, if I was a Democrat, I probably wouldn't find myself enthusiastically voting for him. It'd be more begrudgingly, you know, begrudgingly doing my, my duty or something. Yeah, that was, that was the exact same word that I would have used to, to describe your Joe Biden. But yeah, I just don't feel like there's any representation for the American people in general, honestly. Yeah. Kind of just see like, we're kind of like caught in the middle of like a corporosity how you pronounce it like the corporation yeah um we we talked about taxes earlier talking about like a a more social stance higher taxes and everything and i think the biggest thing is that corporations like amazon and these giant corporations that do offshore banking that don't have to pay anything in taxes i think that's that's really what's robbing the american people right i i mean it, it it certainly would seem um not very equal, I guess. I I think, you know, I was just chatting with somebody not too long ago about this. You know, I think, you know, with the the left will point and say a big problem with today's government is this crony capitalism or this corporatocracy or whatever you want to call it. And I would agree. And then the right will say, well, there's too much socialism. You can't call this capitalism. And and I would agree with that as well. I think both are are totally right. And 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 I don't see us, you know, I don't see us going hard left and leaving behind the corporatocracy, nor do I find us moving it hard to this this crony capitalism and, and leaving behind the socialism. I think both are just going to to increase, I, I guess, in the future. But you know, another thing, I guess. Well, I mean, they have to. I mean, look at how they're bailing out all of these corporations. Yeah, that is socialism if if corporations take out loans and then just get bailed out for those loans, they don't ever have to pay them back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly, and, and and that's that's maybe the best of both worlds. You you have this that's socializing losses, and you're helping out your corporate friends. I mean, it's it's kind of both, and and maybe that's why you know these bailouts tend to get supported so widely by by Congress because you know it serves both their interests. But um, you know, another thing I want to talk about was was not just the political effects of, of what's going on right now, um, but also the economic effects of, of, you know, two, two months of shutdown. And then, you know, the residual, very significant, I think, residual uh, level of unemployment, um, you know, lower GDP, et cetera. Uh, and, and that mixed with the, the huge amount of stimulus from the, from the government, uh, 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, I guess. You know, what does the next couple of years look like economically for, for the United States? Maybe we'll focus on the U.S. for now. Well, yeah, so I definitely think that that's interesting. I think um, kind of like a hidden stimulus package is the, uh, the American military. I think that with conflicts rising in, in China and in India right now and America and China, the world in China, there's a lot of, a lot of conflicts between um, major powers right now. I think that America will use the military to kind of beef up their economy by employing a lot of these unemployed people. But also, obviously, I think that a lot of jobs are going to be lost in general. Um, I don't think, I think that people are going to realize that they don't necessarily need to have as many employees if, they, if they're running at, you know, the same, if they're producing the same amount of goods at a lower capacity, I think that they're, I think that people are, employers are going to have less employees. I think they're going to try to start to pay more, maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> I think that a lot of I think in the next few years, a lot of the manufacturing that was done overseas is going to be brought back to America. This is just my opinion. I think that a lot of manufacturing could be brought back to America, which would <clears throat> raise the quality of goods, but it would also raise the expenses of goods, but it could also raise the uh, people could begin to gain their jobs back and um, beginning to get a, a better wage. But I think that would be a really tough economic situation. I think that we would go through a really rough deflation or deflationary period before we hit any kind of inflationary periods. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the way I've heard it presented before in terms of, of globalization versus, you know, bringing these, these jobs back now, I mean, there's, there's a chance that a lot of these, jobs currently in, in China, you know, if, if, um, if our relationship with China continues to worsen, there, there's a good chance that a lot of those jobs, I think, will stay off, um, outside of our borders, at least, if not overseas, you know, maybe in, in Mexico, but certainly in places like Vietnam and Thailand and whatnot. Um, but, but the ones that do come back, whether they're uh, defense-related or healthcare-related, uh, um, et cetera, it, it's really a mixed bag because you're right. You, you get those jobs, hopefully good jobs. Um, I don't think you can undo the amount of, of industry that's gone overseas in the last 30 years though. Um, and the ones that do come back, I, I think it, if anything, I see it as rather inflationary in the sense, not, not in the classic um, monetary sense, but in terms of, of just the price of goods, you know, it, it costs a huge amount of money to, to relocate uh, those jobs and and you know the U.S. has much stronger labor laws and, and higher cost of labor and and that obviously gets factored into these products uh, for the end consumer as well. I mean it's it's similar to the whole tariff. You know if if you want to think about it this way, I mean the tariffs that Trump has put on Chinese goods are are essentially a tax on on people that buy them here in the United States. Um, but if those jobs if those jobs do come back here. Uh, you might still end up paying 25% more for your washing machine or whatever. Now, I agree it would be higher quality, um, but it also the employees would also be being paid more, which would be filtered back into the American economy. Yeah, potentially. It just seems for me it, it's tough because you do have the benefit of the extra jobs, 
but the, the cost of, of living, I, you know, the cost of goods would go up, I think significantly as well, because, you know, because of just how much more expensive it is to, to employ somebody in the United States, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. I think that would be a very rough transition. And that's kind of what I was trying to allude to. I think you did a better job at explaining it, but yeah, I think there'd just be a really rough transition back into, um, manufacturing here in America. Uh, there, we do have good connections with other countries outside of China that we can use for manufacturing, but it comes down to a point when those countries get to a, a certain wealth level that they can't support our cheap manufacturing in a, anymore either. So, I mean, we're just kicking the can down the road when it comes to our manufacturing. We're eventually going to have to address this problem. Right. And it's addressed either, you know, most likely it's addressed through um, sort of from a, a standard of living perspective in the sense that we've been living outside of our means um, through this, you know, huge trade deficit to China, a trade imbalance uh, um, for, for decades. We've been sort of living outside our means. You know, we, we give them our dollars. They take our dollars and give us their goods. Uh, and, and at some point, like, yes, those jobs can come back home. And, and we can pay more for those goods or we um, we pay more for those goods in, in places like China or Vietnam, where all of a sudden, you know, people aren't just making 50 cents an hour. They're making, you know, something better, maybe not what they'd get here in the United States or even Mexico, but, but something better. And, and, and the consumer has to eat that cost. And, and regardless, you know, it's, it's still a higher cost for the standard of living that we probably can't, maintain i don't know i mean how much of our how much of our current standard of living that we've enjoyed over the past few decades um is is because of of high stock market prices um because of of a a strong dollar because of of you know dollar dominance around the world um, because china is willing to take our dollars so so willingly um you know i almost think of you know some people are thinking you know we're we're in 2020 this is gonna be the roaring 20s right but if we go back to this idea of of you know 80s or 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 90 year um cycles in 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 the sense of this this fourth turning or whatever you know it it would be more likely that our roaring 20s for the 21st century was probably like you know prior to the great recession not what I was going to say is that the roaring 20s alluded to the Great Depression. And you can draw a lot of contrasts from what caused the Great Depression to what's happening now. It's, it's a lot of debt. And there's no one can pay it off once those markets crash. So uh, you can see we have a lot of debt right now. And eventually those people are not going to be able to pay it off. Yeah. And a, and a lot of it, a surprising amount of it is tied to... Um you know, equity prices even, which, which, you know, the Fed has been trying their hardest to, to maintain, you know, the price of the, the Dow Jones or S&P, but, but how much, no, no, equities did not have as large of an effect, I don't think, back in 1929 as they do now on, in terms of the economy. But you think of, of how many individuals and in, in their retirement and their standard of living would, would be, you know, wiped away, you know, cut in half if, if the stock market um, didn't, you know, meet new all-time highs, at least on the Dow Jones side, didn't find new all-time highs until, you know, 2025, 
if, if we really are in a, a bear market rally, we see another significant drop in the stock market and they don't see the returns that they expected, you know, and, and additionally, you know, pension funds don't see the return they expected, et cetera. And, and now all of a sudden our standard of living is, is significantly damaged by, you know, stocks not going up all the time. You know, imagine that. Right. And I mean, it's our economic situation right now, our economic system right now, it's kind of set up that we always continuously have to set new records. We always have to keep growing. And um, I, that's not always sustainable. Obviously we, we, it's almost like these recessions are necessary, like growing periods, growing pains, but they're, they cause so much damage that it, it's not really fair to the American people that we have to go through it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, um, I think the way I've, I've talked about in the past is this idea that the fed is trying to replace the, the business cycle or the boom bust cycle, whatever you want to call it with sort of a never ending credit cycle that as long as we are always increasing the amount of debt in the system, um, we can sort of kick the can on the road and, and we, instead of this boom and bust, we just have a, a continual boom. But, but, you know, my counter to that would be that, well, you know, the recovery following the great recession was incredibly weak. And, you know, if, if that's any indicator of, of how this, this coming recovery, if you want to call it that will be, it's, it's going to be even weaker, you know, um, because debt is just, it's just dead weight on, on an economy, whether it's at the government, at the corporate or the consumer level. I don't buy into the whole NMT idea that, you know, federal deficit is, is a surplus for the consumers. Um, I think, I still think it's, it's a huge drain on the economy, especially, you know, once maybe, you know, foreigners, foreign central banks, foreign investors are, are not the ones funding those deficits. And instead it's, it's U S pension funds, U S retirees, or ultimately, you know, the federal reserve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of just passing the tab onto the American people. And even when we pay into this situation, like you and I both have kids, our kids are going to have to pay off off this debt and they're going to be in an even worse economic situation than we are now. Yeah. I mean, I, I have 40 years till retirement and and I think, you know, I I feel as though there's not a whole lot I can do in, in conventional means through, paying into a pension or a 401k or something. I, I don't know how much I can do now that will, I guess, be viable 40 years from now. Um, yeah. I mean, like I contribute to my 401k and sometimes I think about that too. Like, well, why not just take the money now? Because I don't know if this is going to be worth it in the future. I don't know if I am going to retire. Like, yeah. But um, at the same time, I, I feel like I kind of, I'm obligated to contribute to my 401k just just in case. I mean, it's a hedge for the future, right? Oh, absolutely. What if we're wrong on all this? And and what if we're totally right, but the Fed still manages to pull it off? You know, um, yeah. I mean, there's, no, there's never a bad idea to to hedge against you know what some people would see you know in terms of silver and gold as as a hedge in and of itself. But uh, right, and I think yeah, you're kind of you're leading into the silver and gold, and I think that's obviously that's why you have this this. Um, channel and this podcast and everything and I think that that has been probably one of the you know my best decisions financially starting a few years ago before any of this happened to start accumulating a little bit of gold and silver I think a lot of people in the community probably feel very thankful that they have gold and silver coming into this 
kind of a economic turmoil because it's it's a hedge just like the 401k what what if we are right and now we have some kind of financial stability in the future yeah no exactly yeah what if what if we're wrong um but uh it we've been talking for well we've been on the air for half an hour 35 minutes now and uh we're just now getting into precious metals but unfortunately i have to run and uh put my girls down for bed here pretty soon um but i i I know you understand (laughs) um but you know um i appreciate you coming on for today's discussion and uh you know if i find the time it'd be something i'd love to do in the future whether it's with you or another another listener yeah i would love to come back on if you want me back on uh probably be a little less nervous next time maybe maybe you get you can start your own podcast or i don't know or no (laughs) yeah actually uh, i kind of am in the works of starting my own podcast so i'll let you know when i start my writing process there you go and i'll I'll let my listeners know once it's up and running then awesome well i really appreciate you having me on it was a experience yeah thanks for uh thanks for being a, a a good guest i guess (laughs) yeah i don't want to be too weird right no you're good yeah all right well take care dakota thank you have a good night you too bye